Thriving with Chronic Illness is brought to you by Life Audio and is a part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Thriving with Chronic Illness podcast, where we talk about the hurts, the challenges, and the hope and joy that come when our weak and broken bodies lean hard on Jesus, where together we learn how to not just survive, but thrive with chronic illness. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, a speaker, and a ministry leader who likes to refer to myself as a fibromyalgia warrior because I'm learning daily how to thrive in Christ, no matter how I feel or what I face, because I know in Him, You and I will find all we need to live each day as God desires, as his dependent and faith-filled children created to glorify him. I would love to connect with you. You can find me on social media. You can find my website. Just Google my name. And you can find my ministry, Holy Loved, at holylove.com. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y-L-O-V-E-D. Now, if you've struggled with chronic illness for any length of time, You've probably had well-intentioned friends and loved ones try to quote-unquote fix you, whether that's through some cure-all solution or an all-day prayer experience. And you've probably prayed for hours, for days, maybe for years for yourself. And maybe you've shown up at every revival or healing service in town, but still you hurt, still you're sick. Or maybe you're praying now, hoping for that miracle that will suddenly cause every cell in your body to become well. I get it. I've been there. I've prayed fervently, persistently, consistently in faith. I prayed for a friend as she was slowly dying from brain cancer. I was absolutely convinced God was going to heal her. And yet still she died. And I've prayed for myself so very many times. My husband's prayed for me. My friends have prayed for me. My faith community has prayed for me. I've walked down the aisle at church, certain that God had stirred my feet to do so and therefore would grant my request only to experience the sting of disappointment. But I've also seen God perform amazing miracles. The most memorable miracle I've witnessed occurred during the fallout of Hurricane Katrina. So we were living in Bossier City, Louisiana at the time. We were far away from the coast that it didn't directly affect us, like our house and everything was fine. But we were close enough that we had a lot of the storm victims came into our town and and we had a shelter in Shreveport, which was the, the nearby city. And we also, most of the storm victims though came to our churches and were staying in our basements and church basements and that sort in classrooms, that sort of thing. And while I didn't know anyone personally who'd been hit by the storm, a lot of my friends did. And so I had two friends in particular, and they had aging parents who lived further south. And luckily we learned pretty quickly that they were fine. They weren't directly hit by the storm, but not long after. So first there was Katrina, then there was Rita. And not long after, while much of the land was still flooded with contaminated water, we learned that my one friend's father, who was already in poor health, that he, his health had reached a point of crisis. And 
Unfortunately, all of the hospitals and the veterinary clinics included were jam-packed with Katrina victims. So there was no place for him to go. And plus, it was just hard to travel with the roads. And my friend's dad was bleeding out fast. The situation seemed hopeless. We immediately began to pray and we poured our hearts out to God in desperation. We were begging him to stop the bleeding and save her dad. And I don't know how long we prayed. Our words were far from eloquent. And honestly, I don't know if I was praying in faith or not. I I just was just so caught up in the moment. And my every word came from desperation. I didn't know how God would respond. I just knew how I wanted him to, how I, how we needed him to. And God answered that prayer in such a miraculous way. He healed my friend's father, and we later learned that his bleeding had stopped during the exact moment we'd been praying. And while her dad, he still died a few weeks later, he did so surrounded by his family, which wouldn't have happened otherwise. And through that event, God showed us all that he absolutely still does answer prayer. He still heals. Scripture promises God does not change. And that means the same God that brought a widow's son back to life during the days of Elijah, who healed the blind, the lame, and the leprous, and brought Lazarus back to life when Jesus was walking on the earth. He can easily breathe fresh and vibrant life into our most diseased cells. Sometimes God heals in an instant. Sometimes his healing takes time and sometimes he uses modern medicine. And for some of us, our healing won't occur until we pass from this earth and into heaven. But here's what we know. There will come a day when all of God's children will be healed. When sickness and death and pain will no longer exist. And in the meantime, we keep praying, we keep seeking, we keep trusting, and we keep thriving for our King because he is worth our full surrender, regardless of whether we're sick or we're well. And like I said, God doesn't change. And he certainly has the power to heal. He can heal with a word or a thought. And scripture is full of examples. I mentioned a few earlier. Another one occurs in Second King, where we read of a captain of the Syrian army who developed leprosy, a devastating and highly contagious disease. Well, his wife's slave girl told him one day about a prophet named Elisha. And so he sent for him to heal him. And Elisha told him to wash in the Jordan seven times, promising if he did so, his skin would become healthy and clean. Well, obviously there wasn't anything spectacular about the river itself. In fact, it's a rather dirty body of water, at least it is today. I have no idea what it was like back then, but God wanted this king to know that there truly was a prophet in Israel. And more importantly, that this prophet's God was real, was present and had the power to heal. And the result The Syrian captain declared, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So in other words, God used the man's leprosy and his healing to change his heart and draw the man to himself. In the New Testament, Jesus used miracles for the same purpose. Yes, he loved each of the people he encountered and healed, those who were lame, blind, mute, paralyzed, and leprous. He loved them all as much as he loves each one of us who are sick. And yes, I believe there are times when God showers good things upon us, including healing. But I believe his heart for us, his love for us, extends so far beyond our momentary happiness or comfort. He longs to heal our hearts, to heal us 
spiritually, to bring us spiritual life. And when we consider all of Jesus's miracles in scripture, and even those he's performing today, I believe that's the lens we need to view them through. Really, that's the lens we need to view all of life through, because that's where our ultimate hope and life lie. So throughout the Gospel of John, the author referred to Jesus's miracles as signs. And when discussing Jesus's first miracle, when he turned water to wine, John said, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Well, the Greek word translated as glory, it, re- it refers to God's substance or essence, who he really is. It refers to his value. So in turning the water into wine, Jesus revealed his nature as God's son. Incidentally, he also demonstrated that he cared for all the details of our life. He cares for the small and the big details, the small and the big hurts that we experience. But even more than that, He cares that we come to know him as he truly is, that we recognize his true substance, and that through that recognition, we come to believe in him, that we believe he is who he says he is, did what he said he did, and will do what he promised to do, namely, bring us to heaven with him. In Mark chapter one, we read about a morning. So this was following a time when Jesus, he'd healed a lot of people. And so you can just imagine the buzz and everybody, like anyone who was sick or hurting, just desperate, trying to figure out where he was and trying to get to him. So the next day, scripture says that Jesus rose early and went to a solitary place to pray. And when the disciples found him, they were shocked. And they said, everyone is looking for you. I mean, it's like they're saying, like, where have you been? Everyone was looking for him because they wanted to receive healing or, or food or some, some kind of help. But Jesus replied, quote, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages. Why? So that he could heal more people? That's not what he said. He said, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So speaking on this passage, Joni Erickson Tata, a paraplegic woman with incredible faith, she wrote, it's not that Jesus didn't care about the cancer-ridden or the paraplegics. It's just that their illnesses were not his main focus. Whenever people missed this, whenever they started coming to him only to have their pains and problems solved, the Savior backed away. You see, Jesus knows will one day be healed completely and forever, if not on this side of heaven, then when we stand in his presence for all eternity, he knows our time on this present earth is short. And while I know his heart grieves when ours does, he grieves through the lens of eternity. And scripture makes so many promises to us. We're promised that one day our tears and our sickness will end, that we one day we will no longer struggle with sin or disease, the effects of evil or death. One day we'll truly experience Paradise will live in a world that will be exactly as God intended all along. But scripture also told us that life today would be tough, that all of creation is groaning as in childbirth. In other words, scripture never promised that God's children would be free of pain this side of heaven. And while Jesus indeed healed so many people, and he still does, God did not heal everyone. 
God could have healed the Apostle Paul, and he could have healed Paul's faithful son in the faith, a man named Timothy as well. Both were such surrendered servants of God during difficult periods of history. Now, you can read Paul's story. So he was a first century evangelist. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And you can read his story in much of Acts and also through a lot of the epistles he wrote. He demonstrated incredible, beyond comprehension faith, a Christ-ignited, Holy Spirit-infused Faith, And he exemplified a life consistently deeply surrendered to Christ to the point where he boldly proclaimed his faith despite imprisonment, beatings, floggings. And, and there was a time, granted, there was a time when God miraculously kept him from getting sick when a, when a poisonous snake beat him. You can read about, bit him, excuse me, you can read about that in Acts chapter 28. But, and there were also times when God just did miraculous things in Paul's life. But there were also times when it appeared that God did not. Like in regard to whatever ailments his dear son Timothy in the face suffered that Paul referenced in 1 Timothy 5.23. Now, for whatever reason, from this, when we read 1 Timothy chapter 5, it appears that God did not use Paul to heal Timothy, a man doing the work of God. And we also don't read Paul telling Timothy to pray and to simply have more faith. Instead, Paul told him to drink a little wine, so the water that was pretty bad back then, and and to deal with whatever was going on with the stomach, that the wine, you know, drink the wine to deal with whatever was going on with the stomach and also his frequent illnesses. Now, did Timothy pray for God's healing? Probably. Did the church at Ephesus where Timothy pastored prayed for him? I would assume so. Did Paul pray for his dear son and trusted ministry partner? I have to believe he did often. And, and granted, God may have used the wine to bring Timothy to health. We, we don't know. We'll never know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we do know when God's faithful servant, Paul, when he himself asked, prayed for healing, God redirected him. Now, you might be familiar with this passage. It comes from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. And in it, Paul wrote, speaking of what he referred to as a thorn in his flesh, he wrote, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in other words, Paul was less focused on his personal strength and even his health than Christ in him, whatever magnified Christ in him, whatever increased his dependence on Christ, initiated praise. I want to reach that place. I want to be able to say, no matter what I face or experience, not my will, but yours, God, be done. Teach me to lean hard on you and be glorified in me. There have been times when my prayers for healing have prevented that, have prevented God from really being glorified in me, when my health itself became an obsession, an idol, and also a deep source of pain. I couldn't understand why God wouldn't heal me when it seemed such an easy thing for him to do. And it wasn't for lack of faith. In fact, there was once when I was convinced, absolutely convinced, had no doubt that God would indeed heal me. First, I have to say this instance came after maybe two and a half years of fervent, consistent 
prayers, prayers I'd spoken by myself, that my husband and I had spoken together, that friends and loved ones had prayed over me. And this came after months of anger when all of my prayers appeared to go unanswered. And I'd finally reached a place of surrender. And then one morning as I was reading my Bible, a thought niggled, I should ask my Bible study group to lay hands on me and pray for healing. And I I quickly pushed the thought aside. I was like, you know what? Everybody's already prayed. I've already prayed. And, And asking for prayer too, it would mean being honest with the depth of my struggles. And besides, like I said, they'd prayed for me so many times and I knew many still were. And everyone had their own concerns and problems. So why make mine the focus? That was everything that was going on in my brain. So I just kind of pushed it aside yeah, but then about a week later, the thought returned. And so this time I mentioned it to my husband and he was like, well, I pray for you every day. And so I just kind of let it go. But then the following Sunday, when I was just settling back into a place of surrender, our pastor delivered a sermon on James five thirteen to 17, which says, are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. So that's the New Living Translation version. So hearing this sermon, I just felt certain this was confirmation. This had to be from God, which meant, obviously, he planned to heal me. So again, I told my husband, and this time I explained everything leading up to my conclusion, and he agreed, and he quickly sent an email out to our faith community. And the next time we met, our faith group gathered around me. They anointed me with oil. They prayed over me such beautiful words of love and admiration. And some of them cried as they just beseeched our Heavenly Father on my behalf. And it was one of the most beautiful outpourings of Christian love I'd experienced. I left that night completely humbled and absolutely convinced that I was healed. And so I immediately began like planning the rest of my life, what I would do in the days ahead, what all I could do, what my life would look like now that I was better. But the following day, I was struck by pain and fatigue more intense and unrelenting than usual. And and a deep discouragement and sorrow followed. And I wanted to know why. I wanted to know why God had allowed my hopes to rise only for me to have them dashed. And his answer came quick and clear, but soft in the depths of my soul. He told me that he wanted me to experience the love of my faith community and his love. Now, I will say in many ways, God has healed me. Well, I still suffer considerably and, and often my, with pain and fatigue. And my colitis still flares up on occasion, but I am so much better than I was when I first became sick. So yes, I do see God's hand and I'm so grateful for every improvement he's allowed, but I'm still sick. I still hurt. I still have days where the fatigue completely knocks me out. So in many ways, I'm still waiting for my healing. But I wanted to share that story to speak encouragement to those of you who are blaming yourself for being sick, who are thinking, if only I had done such and such or or hadn't done such and such, if only I had more faith or was a better Christian, then I would be well. Well, our, our gracious Heavenly Father isn't like that. He's not punitive and he's not conditional. And he would have to be both if his mercy depended on us. 
those who say, you know, if only you have enough faith, God will heal you. They're making God's mercy and faithfulness dependent on ours. And that kind of God lacks empathy, compassion, and understanding. Seriously, how many of us, if our child came to us frightened by a storm or the dark, or, or maybe even still shivering in our arms, wanting our protection, but still feeling like the storm is just so big that they're not certain that we can keep them safe, how many of us would grow angry and boot them from our bed? We wouldn't because we understand they're a child with limited understanding and, well, limited faith. And we don't hold that against them. Instead, we soothe them with our love. We care for them as best as we know how. I'm certain God views us in the same way. All of scripture proves this. Throughout history, God has proven himself faithful again and again, not because of us, but in spite of us. That's the gospel. That's grace. Because as Psalm 103 states, he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God's compassionate. He understands we're weak, fallible, easily deceived, easily frightened people with little faith. But here's the thing. All it takes is a mustard seed, which is such a tiny seed. That's all the faith it takes. And if you belong to Jesus, if you've entrusted your eternal life to him, if you've, in, if you've trusted in him for salvation, you've got that. Otherwise, you never would have turned to him in the first place. So in other words, you have all the faith you need. Now, while I don't know why God hasn't healed you or if or when he will, I don't believe if, you, if he has not healed you, I don't believe that's because of lack of faith. And here's why. Here's how God responds to our lack of faith. When a man named Gideon in the book of Judges, when he felt ill-equipped for the task that God had assigned, God met him with gentleness and assurance twice. And when Thomas, one of Christ's disciples, doubted that he'd resurrected just as he'd promised, Christ again met him with gentleness and assurance, inviting him to touch and see. But perhaps my favorite example comes from Mark chapter 9, when a man, he brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. So Jesus asked the man how long his son had been in his current condition, to which the man replied from childhood, it, speaking of the demon, has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, he said, take pity on us. And Jesus said, if you can... And then he stated, everything is possible for one who believes. And I love how the father responded. He said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I feel like sometimes we say that, right? Lord, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And notice how Jesus responded. He didn't respond by saying, okay, so come back to me when your faith has increased, then I will heal your child. No. He immediately rebuked the unclean spirit. The boy fell down as if dead, but Jesus took him by the hand. He lifted the boy to his feet. So in other words, he healed the boy despite the father's unbelief. His mercy on the boy was not dependent on the father's faithfulness. And here are some things 
I think are important to consider. When we always expect God to heal us, we're in effect saying that we know what's best in all situations. Well, I don't know where my life would be now or who I would be now or even what I would be doing now. I have seen God grow me so much through my illness. He's used it to remove my true sickness, pride and selfishness. Well, I'm still prideful and selfish, but he's really helped me in those areas. I'm nowhere near as prideful and selfish as I used to be prior to getting sick. And, and he's deepened my compassion. He's taught me to listen. He's heightened my view of heaven, just made me excited for heaven. And I think I used to just be too excited for life on earth. And that's not where our world is. That's not where our life is. And, and as my excitement for heaven grows, my passion for sharing the gospel has grown as well. And I could go on. And while, yes, there have been times when I've asked God why he doesn't miraculously transform me, do all of those things that he's done through my illness and through just growing me over the years without me having to ever learn through struggle. For whatever reason, we're told in scripture that God uses our greatest trials to bring about his most beautiful work. According to his definition of beauty, I think that's important as well. Now, I'm not saying at all that God causes our illness because I don't believe that, but I do believe he does and will use it for our good because he uses all things for our good. That's the type of father that he is. And when we always expect God to heal us, we're, we're also saying that we know how God will and should act, and therefore that is how he will. I don't know about you, but I simply don't have that much faith in my wisdom. If I'm going to have lack of faith in anything, it is going to be in myself, in my wisdom, in my perception, in my understanding. And sometimes we just have to say, you know what? I don't know. I don't understand and I don't know. And we're also saying that today, that our momentary comfort and happiness is God's ultimate goal. And like we've already discussed, I simply don't believe that's true. In fact, I think that's one of his last goals because he realizes how incredibly short our time on earth is, but eternity, well, that lasts forever. That's where his ultimate focus is. And that's where our focus should be as well. When we expect healing, We're stating in essence that we believe God and his ways are and always will be understandable. And honestly, he isn't understandable. He won't be understandable. We won't always understand who he is or what he's done this side of heaven. We just, our brains just aren't that big. If we could fully understand God, he wouldn't be God. But that doesn't mean he's not good just because we don't understand something. And I've come to realize this through my own experiences as a parent. There have been so many times when my, my daughter didn't understand me, and there were times when she thought I was withholding something that she was certain for her best, and, and times when she actually thought that maybe I wasn't being really caring or attentive. And while I know I've made so many mistakes as a parent, I've never intentionally caused my child harm or intentionally withheld something that I really believed was for her good. And God is a perfect parent who never makes mistakes or a wrong decision. And we have to trust that even when we don't understand that he's still good, that is true faith. 
Faith isn't believing that all things will turn out as we desire. Even this one thing will turn out as we desire. That's self-idolatry, quite honestly. Faith is trusting that God is good and loving and faithful and true, even when life feels hard and confusing. And it's trusting that life won't always feel hard because we know heaven is coming. In the meantime, we keep praying. We keep hoping. We keep trusting, knowing whether God heals us today, next week, next month, or when he ushers us into our heavenly home, that we will be healed. The question then is, how will we respond to our Savior and our challenges while we wait? I don't know about you, but I want to know that I lived completely for Christ. Now, I suspect today's episode might have touched on some deep feelings for some of you. And I suspect some of you disagree with me, and that's totally okay. I encourage you to to please reach out. You can contact me through my website. I would love to pray for you and really just to hear your hurt and your heart. And like I said, it's okay if you disagree with anything I said today. I don't claim to have all the answers. And we can still be sisters even when we disagree. But I do hope that maybe I said some things to encourage you in your journey and to help you center your thoughts on Christ and our heavenly home, heaven, because man, is it going to be great. I can't wait to see you there. And maybe we'll go for a run or a swim or just break out in dance as we sing our praises to the King of Kings. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and then you won't miss a single episode. I would also love it if you would rate it. That helps others to find it. I'll have some discussion questions on the show notes so you can gather a group together and you can work through them or pray and work through them on your own. And I would love it also if you would share this podcast with others and go in peace, go in love, go in faith, and in an ever-increasing spiritual health, the best kind of health there is. Thriving with Chronic Illness is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a minute and leave us a review in your podcast app? It really does help more people like you find the podcast. To hear more from Jennifer Slattery, be sure to check out her fantastic site, holyloved.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelly Givens, and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more podcasts like this, head over to lifeaudio.com. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word Kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.